Hello, it's Mick. Just before we get into today's episode, I want to introduce you to our Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a subscription service where you can chuck us a couple of quid every month if you like what we're doing, and that helps support the podcast, pay for licenses and pay for new equipment to make the show better and all that sort of stuff. So head over to patreon.com forward slash HM4AS, the four being the number four. And if you can give us some money, that would be really, really great. Uh, I know times are hard, so if you haven't got any money and you're still enjoying it, then please share it, tell your friends put stuff up on your Instagram stories, retweeting, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's really great, and thanks thanks for listening. There are a couple of tiers on the Patreon. So there's the first tier, which is just general support, and that gives us £3 a month, which works out at 75 pence per episode. Uh, then there's a middle tier, which is £5 a month, uh, and that gives you everything in the tier below, and you also get discount on merch. And Lucy's going to draw you a Patreon-exclusive digital print that you'll get when you sign up and then there is a top tier which is £10 a month and I know that sounds like a lot of money but it really 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 will help us uh, keep the podcast going and with that one you get everything in the two tiers below it plus you'll also get a physical print every two months and a free t-shirt when the merchandise that Lucy's making comes so it's all very exciting thank you very much for listening and hope you enjoy this episode Hey this is Bob Tyrell and you're listening to How Much For A Sleeve Hello, it's Mick and Lucy from the popular tattoo-based podcast, How Much for a Sleeve, and we'd like to give a few moments over to our new sponsor, DSM Tattoo Machines. Lucy, tell us a bit about them. Well, Mick, DSM Tattoo Machines make exceptional coils and now a new rotary, Tattoo Machines, not guns. You can check them out at dsmtattoo.co.uk and don't forget you get 10% off with discount code SLEEVE10. They also make a range of needles. You can find them at lockdownneedle.co.uk. I think they're very nice. Hello and welcome to How Much for a Sleeve, a podcast about tattooing hosted by a natural tattooist, Lucy Richardson, and an actual knob, Mick Tickner. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I just said that. You know, when you're on the phone waiting to go to, it feels like this every time when you're on the phone and you get to some automated thing and it goes, uh, please say your name after the beep. And you go, uh, Lucy Richardson. <laughs> it goes, what is your postcode? DB seven i don't know you live in derby yes i do yeah. sometimes but i just don't tell you because that's closer to you have you been i'm well although i'm a little bit sad today because um we're recording this on friday and prince philip duke of edinburgh has passed away he has and it is sad and uh so has uh the rapper dmx as well and i hope dmx and prince philip both rest in peace it's yes. what, it's it's what one of them would have wanted. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is, <laughs> and I know who that would be. Yeah. It is. It is sad, and I also would like to say that if anyone dies, and your first reaction is to go, "Well, I didn't like that person," then you're a bit of a cunt. Yeah, I even, know. Even if they are the worst person, silence is always an option when someone dies. That's it. 
yes yeah. you're very right there i know the monarchy it brings up a lot of mixed feelings in the nation but personally i think i like the thought of it i like the institution i love the queen i've got a tattoo on my arm and i loved loved the duke of edinburgh um he's probably my favorite royal mainly because well one of the biggest reasons is I saw a video and uh, there was a photographer and you see Prince Philip mouthing or saying, just take the fucking picture. <laughs> it must be fucking annoying though. Everywhere you go, you've just got yeah. to imagine yeah. that. But paid a lot, don't have to do fuck all. And he is, I suppose he is a beacon shining example of the modern, the modern man, the stay at home father. While, that's true while his wife goes and does all the graft that's true and he did a lot of good he tried to take his position and you know he was actively involved in um you know the world wildlife foundation and conservation yeah and, um, i also and at the end i heard a cool thing that someone said because it does piss me off when the royal family are like oh yeah we want to do all this save the animals but they go out shooting and shit yeah. like that it's just a fucking cognitive dissonance times 10 or just being just doing because what you've been told to do but there was a geezer i heard on the radio don't know who he was uh talking about how he went out on a shoot with prince philip and he said he kept his gun cocked over his arm and said i, I didn't shoot anything i rarely do because he said he, he, he didn't shoot anything because he saw a pair of chaffinches pissing oh. about in the tree and that was what he wanted to do and if, i don't know it seemed like he felt like he had to go on these shoots because of who he was rather than him actually wanting to go and shoot babies and i think at the end of the day regardless of your thoughts on the monarchy he and the queen were married for like 73 yeah. years i'm not an, i'm not an, i'm not anti-royalist i'm not pro-royalist i think i've got what's the word i've got uh ambivalence towards the royal family yeah i think i think i don't think it's a it's necessarily something that i think we should carry on forever nor is it something that we should all want to want to get angry about and drag down yeah exactly at the end of the day like we've had a monarchy for quite a long time i'd say yeah and... i think also he's, he's 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 high enough in it for us to get a bank holiday isn't he? oh i yeah maybe he doesn't i'd quite like to go <laughs> this is really sad this so... is the extent of how much i like the royals um but i'd quite like to go line the streets and i don't know if that's going to happen if he did that sound a bit no 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 No, i was laughing about when i think it was when the queen mother died and there was the big because she um lied in state and you yeah could, you could queue up and go and look around i i think it was steve merchant the comedian said that it would have been a lot easier if they'd have just got some lads to wheel her down the line. <laughs> and then you wouldn't have had to queue. You wouldn't have had to queue, but just, you know, put some BMX tires on her and just, <laughs> just wheeled her out and just, just gone around the whole country with her. <laughs> They're so, not going to do that. He's not going to lie in state. He just no, wanted it to be like a, a small, small affair. So but, Dead move on something dead happier. people aside yeah uh rest in peace both of you you're back in the shop in a couple of days you must be delighted i am delighted and a little apprehensive it's nerve-wracking mm. i think a lot of like not necessarily tattooing but just having that close contact with people 
conversation and I suppose I'm a bit practiced because we've been chatting to a lot of people recently and and that's nice but um just acting like a, a proper human I suppose it's a bit weird It'd be strange yeah but in a week's time I will have forgotten what it was like to be retired and it'll be yeah. back in full swing yeah that's good and you've, you've all you, you sorted out all your kind of you were worried about your bookings and things like that and getting all that sorted yes so yeah I have emailed everyone now um and it was it was super easy for me which is nice but then um when I got I went to see Grant yesterday and I said how how's your booking looking and he was like mm. I said have you done any he was like no so <laughs> he's been repainting the shop sign um with his new airbrush skills so he was doing that I was like give me a diary and I literally spent four hours yesterday about an hour today phoning all of his customers up and rebooking them and I just did it all for him so <laughs> I had so like you, so you've got someone doing yours job. yeah literally <laughs> and then you're doing his yeah I said to Grant like you know I pay someone to do this how much do you, and I'm a lot more expensive <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's done I felt good to take that pressure off of him and um and he can just, you know, concentrate on the last few days being full-time childcare with his kids and yeah. and it's done now. So Absolutely. And fingers crossed for for no further lockdowns. Well, we will see. Talking of lockdowns, I got a delivery today from Dan um, of Dan self-made DSM machines and lockdown needle. He sent me a whole huge pack of needles to get me started for next week, which was lush. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. What a nice man. What a nice man. Yeah. Do you know what also came with it was special elastic bands and mm -hmm. a packet of perfect nipples. Ooh. Dirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a saucy name. It is, isn't it? What is a perfect nipple? The Don't just, just explain what it is <laughs> before you, I could I could <laughs> see you I could hear you'll get right. I can do something dirty here. Just explain. <laughs> In tattoo terms, tattoo machine terms, what is a perfect nipple? Um, so it, it, the nipple is like a grommet. It goes on, your needle sits on it, stops it bouncing around a little bit mm -hmm. and just secures it on. But it's got a good depth, an adequate, we like an adequate depth. <laughs> and it's got quite a nice um, girth. Who knew I'd go for dick mm. jokes when we're talking about nipples? Hey, yeah, I can get them in anywhere. <laughs> Is your, is your but I can't. There's one. <laughs> no. Um, how's your week been? <laughs> yeah, it's been right. I had a week off. That's nice. Well, not really yeah. though, because you've been doing no. doing this. No, but yeah, it's been all right. Yeah, been been. You been did made... my website. Yeah, did your website? Did someone else's website? Did some wedding invites for a friend as well, which was nice. Nice to help out things like that and be a be a good friend. You're a good human. Thank you. Um, yeah, back to work on Monday. I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's been all right. So tell us quickly about who our guest is this week. Yes. Um, I just did a, a in-the-throat burp, though, and I hope that doesn't pick up on the uh, recording. Picks up everything, these new microphones, then they're, they're, yeah. they're unforgiving. My massive muff. Um, and... <laughs> This week, we've got Michelle from Daredevil in New York. So Tattoo Studio and Tattoo Museum. And when I was listening back to it, it's just, I still find it so interesting. She's so knowledgeable about the history of tattooing in New York. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, I have, I feel like I've just been on such a journey whilst we've been doing this podcast. I've learned so much about our, the history of our world. And Michelle is such a great person to learn from. She does walking tours, um, like tattoo based walking tours around the Bowery. The shop is full of incredible flash, incredible artwork. She's got things like the original um, Sun Dancer by Bert Grimm. There were just hundreds of historic Victorian age tattoo machines and it is just incredible. And I, I say this in when we're chatting to her, but when we can travel again, I would just a thousand percent recommend popping in there. Michelle is lush. Everyone in the shop is lovely, especially Gilbert. Um, <laughs> who I think, I think you'll, you'll, be, you'll be introduced to Gilbert um, at the end of this episode. Yes. Yeah, listen right to the end. It's a real good one. <laughs> good little bonus bit at the end there. <laughs> um, but yeah, go in. It's amazing. You you can spend just ages looking at all the stuff. It's super chilled. Um, go on one of Michelle's walking tours. It's just one of the, the best things I think you could possibly do in New York. Um, totally, yeah, totally recommend. And Michelle is so lovely as well. Mm. Wasn't she so nice to chat to? Definitely. Just, and again, just... again, as I always say, I'm like people are always so kind to me, not knowing half the stuff you're talking about. But everyone's, I'm, in, I'm included in every conversation, and it's, it's lovely. Yeah, she's great. We we just speak to such lovely people, don't we? And mm. just because like you don't tattoo, it doesn't mean that you're not you shouldn't be involved. And everyone is does really involve. Well, it's just like a chat, isn't it? It's just mm. chilled, chill chat. Just because he doesn't, you don't tattoo, it doesn't make you any less cool. I mean, mildly, obviously, tattooists are the coolest, and that's why we all tattoo. But <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it doesn't help you. Anyway, it doesn't help me. Um, so yeah, it was good. <laughs> it, it, yeah, great. Really, really, really fun. Really funny. Really in, interesting with the with the museum as well. All the time in your eyes were just bing, bing. Yeah, you haven't got that. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. You literally walk in and you're like, holy shit it's amazing just yeah it's incredible I just love that shop such happy memories from there which we've spoken about before loads because it was great mm. um but and it was, it your, was just lovely the last place you did a guest spot before, before yeah. the unpleasantness wasn't it yeah so Danielle and I back in March last year and um just my favorite trip I think it was and that's just down to the people that were there and and how welcoming they are it was lovely well, let's hope you back from, there soon. Apart from Gilbert. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> off. That's, you don't mean that. I don't. He <laughs> He's an excellent target for prank calls. Yeah. And I haven't done one for a couple of weeks now. Maybe I should do another. Watch out, Gilbert. If you're listening. <laughs> um, just before we go into the episode, just want to say thank you again to Dan Selfmade for sponsoring the episode. Nice one. Use your discount code sleeve 10 at the checkout and also to remind you of our patreon i know i keep going on about it but if you've got any coins that you can swing us that would be tremendously helpful and it does pay for our licenses and equipment and things like that so if you can go to patreon.com forward slash hm4as that would be tremendously helpful thank you very much this is episode nine how much for a sleeve with michelle myers how much for a string?
We're so happy to have Michelle Miles from Daredevil Tattoo Studio and Tattoo Museum in New York. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I've been really excited about this and I'm doing lots of prep, <laughs> just trying to read up again on, on the history and, and things of New York. But in previous episodes, Danielle Rose and I were chatting about when we came to do a guest spot with you. And we said how it was just one of our best experiences and it was so great, but we were lucky enough to come on one of your walking tours. So we got a, a real in-depth look at the, the tattoo history. Um, so, so many great things to chat about and yeah, really exciting. So thank you ever so much. Oh, nice. So how have you been finding, what's been the situation with tattooing in New York? Like I know that it seems mad that we were there so close to everything shutting down because we were there at the start of March. Oh, that's right. Um, so what happened after that? Uh, I remember we had, um, there was a Friday the 13th, on March 13th, and uh, we were kind of like back and forth about what to do on it. And uh, we ended up uh, kind of doing it with a limited capacity. And I just remember at that point, we were all like really nervous. And I had masks for all of the artists, um, which just seemed kind of you know, it seemed like, okay, let's just be on the safe side. And so everybody, um, you know, geared up and uh, right after that, it, yeah, everything went crazy. And I, I remember I was kind of back and forth because I was supposed to be leaving that week for Paris. And um, I just remember texting with all the other artists like Jen and Mary and California. We were all trying to figure out what we were going to do. And um, yeah, everything went crazy. And um, we were, you know, locked down for a few months. And then there was also uh, the protest going on at some point. And uh, that was really wild because um, there was just like crazy police presence. And uh, yeah, the only tattoo I did during lockdown, I went into the shop and I tattooed my husband and uh, he oh. kind of like sort of liked having the whole uh, shop to himself and his, uh, you know, getting able to like you know, drink and smoke weed while he got tattooed. <laughs> so he, he, I think he'd prefer it that way. But um, I don't know, then we opened up, um, I guess it was a few months ago at 50% capacity. And that's where we're at right now. And um, so, yeah, we've been doing okay. We're hanging in there. Well, that's so good to hear that you're sort of back at it. Because I remember when they said, I was reading in the news and they said that they had closed tattoo studios in New York. And it was just open-ended. I remember specifically in the news, it just said like for the foreseeable future. And that's such a scary thing to read, just not to yeah. know. So. Yeah, all the air services were shut down. But um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, definitely that first part was really scary. I mean, you know, nobody knew what was happening. You didn't know how you could catch it. And, you know, everybody, I remember, you know, we we're washing our groceries and everything. But um no, it was really nice to get back in the shop. And I'm just um, amazed that you guys are still locked down. It sucks a lot. <laughs> it's so yeah. bad. It's been really trying. Like, so we went into lockdown originally on the 23rd of March. And then we opened back up again in the middle of July. And we tattooed, we were able to work with regulations and things um, until I think we went back into another lockdown for the month of November yeah um and then the the figures and stuff sort of lowered a bit um and they were trying to see it as like a circuit breaker is what they said 
Mm-hmm. But then when we went back to work, everything obviously went sky high again because they didn't close the schools during November. So then they said from Boxing Day, so the day after Christmas, um, we'd go back into lockdown and they didn't tell us how long it would be until last week, I think. Um, so, you know, end of February when they would hope we could open up again. So, yeah, it's been difficult. Um <laughs> And because, as I said earlier, before we were recording, I've come back into the shop to do the podcast from here. And it's so nice to be here with the smells and the flash on the walls and stuff. I'm just desperate to start again. Oh, no, I mean, it really takes a lot out of you emotionally, you know, to, uh, I don't know, just to be so divorced from, you know, such a big part of, you know, how we all exist. And it's terrible. <laughs> That's it. And it's funny, like, to think that because if anyone uh, listening who wasn't aware, there was a ban in New York on tattooing for, was it 36 years? Yeah, something like that. 1961 till 1997. So to imagine being a tattooist in that time when they said that they were banning, like, it just, it's completely life-changing, isn't it? I just can't imagine how that felt. What were the, yeah. what was the history behind the ban? Like, why did that happen? I mean, to be honest, nobody knows a hundred percent for sure. There's a, uh, you know, tons of different stories that kind of surround it. Um, the, I think the official reason they gave was that they blamed it on a hepatitis outbreak, but I've heard that they never actually traced any, um, any uh, cases of hepatitis directly to tattooing. I also heard that it was around the same time that they started immunizing the military. Um, Then I've heard stories that there was a tattooer who like beat up a senator's son. And then there were stories that the Moskowitz brothers, uh, I don't know, threw some lady out of the shop who was married to a senator or something. Um, then other people have said it was around the time of the New York World's Fair. So they were trying to kind of like clean up the city. Um, so nobody, nobody's 100% sure, you know, and I think just in general, you know, just the perception of tattooing back then was pretty low. And, uh, you know, it wasn't seen favorably and so it wasn't something that anybody was really trying to preserve and I think it stayed illegal for so long because uh you know it must have been you know horrible for the tattooers that were operating to just all of a sudden have your business be taken away and uh but at some point when people were used to working underground and like when I first started tattooing uh none of us really wanted it to be legalized that I knew because uh it kept all the competition out. It wasn't really enforced. Um, I used to tattoo cops all the time. They didn't care. Um, So when I first heard that it was going to be legalized, uh, I was just like, oh, no, that's terrible. What am I going to do? And I'm going to have to open up a tattoo shop. (laughs) So, um, you know, when I first, (laughs) I was completely bummed when I heard they were going to open up tattooing because we, you know, we all knew they're like, that there was going to be like a hundred tattoo shops like right away. And, you know, of course there was. And, uh, but you know, in the long run, I, I love having my shop. So it all worked out in the end. When did you open your shop? Sorry. We opened Make- it in 1997. Oh, so were you ready to hit the ground running as soon as the ban was lifted? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember that there was like a specific like day that, you know, it's like, okay, now you can open, but, um, I, you know, I've known my business partner, Brad Fink, uh, since high school. And, um, 
we Brad would come up and visit and he would tattoo and uh, he was always like, oh, if they, you know, decide to legalize tattooing, let's open up a shop. And um, I had actually just uh, renovated a loft space to work out of. And I had spent all this money on this loft. And I remember I was walking down the street and I saw this guy, Clayton Patterson. And he was like, hey, did you hear they're going to legalize tattooing? And I was like, oh, no. And so I um, called Brad and I was like, all right, you want to open a shop? And so like a week later, I think we signed the lease on Daredevil and um, got to work. And that was that. So before the before the ban was lifted, were you or were were tattooists doing it from their from their house or were there places you could go and walk still walk in and say, hey, I need to tattoo? Uh, I, I started tattooing in 91 in New York and right. it was legalized in 97. Uh, so, yeah, I worked for six years underground in the city before it was legalized. And it just meant um, I had no there was no sign out front. Um, but I did. I used to advertise in the back of the village voice. It, people really did not care. It wasn't um, it wasn't a uh, criminal violation. It was just a health code violation. Uh, one time I looked up the statute and it was like listed in between um, smoking in elevators and growing right. uh, poison ivy in the city so it wasn't nice <laughs> New York it was not a high on the list of priorities that's crazy so what when you opened up daredevil was it in the um location that you are now no no we were up on uh, Ludlow and Houston uh we had tiny little space it was like I don't know maybe 300 350 square feet um I think we had uh two or three stations in the beginning um so it was just, just a little storefront and um, we moved out of that location. We moved to our current location. I think it was like in 2014. And um, yeah, we also, in 2004, we bought um, Fun City and we owned that until 2014. And we sold that when we moved down to our current location. And was there any, because the area you are in is quite full of tattoo history. Was that a conscious decision to to go into that area not not really i mean the main um the main uh, consideration was that i wanted to find a commercial storefront that uh, a commercial uh condo that we could buy uh because you know retail uh real estate in new york city commercial real estate in new york city is uh brutal i'm sure it's the same thing in london and um so I, I just, I was really tired of uh, working for a landlord and, you know, just to be in a position where at some point your lease is always going to be up and, you know, you're going to be screwed. They can raise rent as much as they want. Um, I didn't want to be in that position again. And so I'd spent years uh, saving, putting every dollar away that I could. And uh, it's really hard to find commercial condos in New York City that are for sale. And um, it was basically the only space that was available. I mean, I think there was one other one on Clinton Street that was like half the size, but uh, we decided, you know, to go for that one and it worked out. And um, it just happened to be, you know, down the street from the Bowery in Chatham Square. It's actually at the other end of our street. We're in division. And if you were, you know, the Eastern end of division, if you go to the Western end of the division, it ends at Bowery in Chatham Square. And think. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of the Bowery and the tattoo culture and how it started and when it started? Uh, well, the Bowery is, uh, it's actually the oldest thoroughfare in New York City. And um, it's just this uh, 
fairly short street. I think it's like, I don't know, three quarters of a mile or something. It's a few blocks and um, Chatham Square is at the very uh, southern end of the Bowery. And um, it, basically the Bowery was like the, it's the oldest, uh, it was the oldest like entertainment working class entertainment district in New York City. And so that was where like, you know, you had just tons of like bars, saloons, dance halls, um, brothels. And, you know, if you came to New York City and you wanted to have fun, you wanted to get in trouble, uh, you went to the Bowery. Um, it was world renowned and it was, you know, you wanted, you know, to have a good time. That was the place to go. And so naturally tattooers found their way there. And, um, the very first, uh, a few blocks from the Bowery, um, a few blocks east, closer to the waterfront was where Martin Hildebrandt um, first uh, set up shop. And he was the first tattooer to um, open up a permanent place of business for tattooing in the United States. And he was listed as tattooing in the New York City directory um, in 1858. Um, so New York's uh, tattoo history uh, goes really far back and um you know it's pretty cool that we're so close to all that that is it, like I don't think I was aware or I know you've told me previously but I've forgotten that it, it does go so far back like the 1850s just seems so long ago what what did they do for machines because I don't think was it the 1880s that Thomas Edison um invented the pen yeah, these were all hand-poked tattooers. Martin Hildebrandt was a German um, sailor. He was in the U.S. Navy, and um, so he was a hand-poked tattooer. He learned when he was um, serving in the Navy. And, um, yeah, back then, uh, tattooers, I think, were just a little bit more mobile. They had, you know, their little kits that they carried with them, and, you know, a lot of them worked um, at the docks. And so he was pretty close to the water, um, to the waterfront. And uh, yeah, it wasn't the Edison machine uh, wasn't patented until 1876. And then the first electric tattoo machine patent by O'Reilly was in 1891. Wow, that's so that is so interesting. What did they do for stuff like ink? Uh, they used um, vermilion for red and uh, they used Indian ink and um yeah, they were, you know, more limited on the colors and usually they would have uh, like a stick and they would, um, you know, wrap some needles and uh, um, yeah, it was definitely a much more simplified setup and a little bit easier too, because you weren't plugging into anything so you could go wherever. But, you know, when we talk about tattoo shops from that time period, it's not really a shop like what you would imagine now. Um, they, tattooers usually shared their space with other businesses. And the first place that Hildebrandt worked out of was actually a saloon. Um, he was on um, at the, I think they called the Slaughter Point slaughter point or slaughterhouse point saloon and it was you know there were there were a lot of saloons on the lower east side back then i mean you figure that sounds dangerous was, <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean actually drinking water was dangerous um fresh water you know wasn't uh you know it was usually contaminated and so it was actually easier cheaper safer to um to drink beer or uh you, you know you'd have to boil the water to even be able to drink it and there was also a very strong german population on the lower east side at one point um the lower east side was uh, even called klein deutschland or little germany and it was the third largest german population in the world after only i think berlin and munich wow. and 
so yeah, uh, Hildebrandt was part of that, um, you know, uh, one of those German immigrants. Did you already have the, the interest in the history of tattooing before you decided to turn part of the shop into a museum or did it all just sort of happen together? No, I mean, Brad and I have always like uh, had a strong interest in uh, traditional American tattooing. I mean, Brad started collecting all of the flash and everything when he started tattooing, which is, I think, like over 35 years ago now. And uh, when we moved down there, um, you know, we were trying to decide what to do with the shop, how to set it up. And I was like, wow, you know, it'd be cool if you hung up some of your original artwork um, in the shop and Brad, you know, kind of looked around. He was like, wow, I could uh, fill up this whole place. And that was what he did. Um, at the old shop, we had stuff hung, but it was always copies. And, uh, you know, it's a lot harder to hang original stuff in the shop because it has to be protected. You, you have to, everything has to be behind glass, um, you know, behind UV glass, which is very expensive. Um, we have to be more worried about the climate control in the shop and everything. Uh, but, you know, we just thought it would be you know, really cool to have all that stuff, like for the public to be able to enjoy it. And, you know, when we did that, um, that gave me the idea to make the map that I drew up and start researching who all the earliest tattooers were in the Bowery. And um, it definitely expanded my interest in it. But, you know, I always look at traditional tattooing. When did you start doing the walking tour? Uh, well, I, I started making the maps and, um, uh, doing all the research for that. And uh, we decided to have a Kickstarter for um, for the museum um, just because it was, you know, it was pretty crazy moving the shop and then also pulling off, like buying it and everything. And uh, so, you know, we were at, uh, we needed help. And so we did the Kickstarter and um, I thought about it. I was like, oh, you know, it'd be cool. Like for some of the um, top donors, maybe I'll do a little walking tour, you know, based on the research I did. And um, so that was what first gave me the idea. And then um, when we had our 20th anniversary party, uh, we invited all these tattooers to come and work at the party. And um, I thought it would be cool to take all them on the walking tour. And that was when I, you know, I thought it might be a good idea to get a license uh, if I was going to be dragging 20 tattooers up the Bowery. Um, so I got a walking tour license, which is actually much harder to get than a tattoo license. Um, <laughs> it took me like six months to study for it. It's like a, it's like an hour and a half test. And um, so I'm, I'm a licensed New York city tour guide now. Is that and, for like, for, for you knowing what roads are where, like a, a like a, geogra a geographical thing or is it your knowledge no, of the subject? Just general um, New York city history. Right. And like you got to know like, you know, who the architect is for like, you know, the Empire State Building, this Chrysler Building. And you have to know like, you know, what is the setback law for skyscrapers? And, wow. you know, so it's, it's just like a, ba a base level New York knowledge before you can then apply yes. your own stuff on top of it. That's yeah, yeah. Enough. it has nothing yeah. to do with whatever your tour is about. Wow. And um, no, it was, it was really hard, actually. But it was cool. I mean, you know, if you like history, it's not like it's a bad thing to learn more history. Yeah, so it was it was cool. And uh, and I thought it would also be good for the museum to have that, you know, just, uh, um, you know, to be a good representative for the city. And um, and uh, yeah, and then Airbnb approached uh, us because um, they launched their their experiences. They um, they don't just do um, 
stays anymore. They also have Airbnb experiences and they wanted to do a tattoo experience. And so when they launched it in Manhattan, um, they, uh, I told them I could do the tattoo tour. And so um, that's what I do the tours through is through Airbnb experiences. So people can go online and book. And uh, before COVID, it was really cool. I mean, we would get, I would get people coming from all over the world to do the tours and you get some people, I get tattooers, but then I would also get people that had never been in a tattoo shop. And uh, so it was, it was a cool way to bring people into the shop and to, um, you know, expose them to that history. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I also enjoy New York history as much as I enjoy tattoo history. You know, the two are uh, intertwined for me. And having done the tour, like I would recommend to anybody to come and visit Daredevil because it's just such a beautiful shop. Like there's so much to look at. And while working there, anytime I had a break, I would be studying the flash or looking in, looking in the, um, the displays and, but when, when you're doing the tour, it is clear that you have such a passion for it and such a wealth of knowledge about the history and everything. It's, yeah, it's, I would thoroughly recommend to anybody to do it. It's great. When we're allowed to, that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're allowed I started to doing them again recently, but now it's all New Yorkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's definitely a lot of those. So hopefully that will keep you busy. <laughs> yeah. No, no tour. <laughs> New York without tourists is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like that was the same with London. Having been there a couple of times over the last year, it's really bizarre. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I feel for people who have Airbnb um, like stays and make that's their living because it must have just been completely obliterated. I think some people are still traveling locally. Um, we had to go up to Maine at one point, and you know we stayed. You know, so I, I don't know. I think people are just traveling a little bit more closer to home these days. Yeah, that's true. Is is there anything in the museum that is your pride and joy, like your favorite artifact? Uh, I mean, it's it's. Um, I feel very blessed to have the like the Sundancer in the shop. Um, you know, that's just such a um, important piece. Um, I, I always say it's like living with a celebrity, you know, to have that uh, in the shop. Uh, she's really special. Um, I, although I, I also really love the, um, the other Burt Grimm back piece, one of the other ones we have, which is the Garden of Eden. Um, the George Burchett stuff is really cool. Um, I love having the O'Reilly stuff. It's just, it's so rare. Um, and all the Coleman stuff is amazing too. Is that um, for anybody listening who's not might not know is that um specific flash that you're talking about the sundancer the Burt Grimm uh yeah the sundancers uh the one the one piece with uh, the back piece with the um woman who's um you know the Indian woman who's dancing a Native American woman and um I, I mean it's just what's cool about being around the collection is that even you know being around it every day it's like I still see things on the sheets that I haven't noticed before um, you know, it's, it's crazy, like just how much stuff there is and that you can get kind of sucked into these details. Do you get to tattoo much of the design, like many of the designs? Yeah, we definitely do. And, uh, I mean, to me, that's kind of one of the coolest aspects of having the museum is that, um, you know, this stuff is meant to live in a tattoo shop. And so people can still come in a hundred years later and, you know, pick from these sh same sheets and, you know, so the history, you know, literally lives on. That's amazing. Isn't yeah. That nice? I got a bat um, from 
one of the flashlights in there and I don't know who who it was by but Noah tattooed it on me and we just added a little NYC on the bottom and it's just one of my favorites because it just comes it's so full of happy memories and yeah, um, it's a <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and I love it and I I spent ages trying to decide like what am I gonna get what am I gonna get and then I saw that and I was like that one <laughs> I just I love it um how did so all the machines and things like where have they all come from is it Brad that collects them mostly or do you collect yeah, them together? Brad's the, he's the collector um he's just been uh very dedicated to collecting you know pretty much his whole career and you know it's just it was a lot different collecting like earlier on I mean it's really only in the last maybe like 10-15 years that people outside of tattooing have really gotten involved with it um I mean, now it's like you have uh, folk art collectors and, um, you know, it used to be just like sort of this one, you know, like a select group of tattooers who was after this stuff. But at this point now you're competing with like all tattooers and, and uh, you know, and people outside of the tattoo community. I mean, I always say, you know, it's like now you have people who wouldn't have set foot in a tattoo shop or collecting this stuff, you know, like. 10 years ago, they wouldn't have, you know, even gone into a tattoo shop. And now, you know, they're all about like the, uh, you know, collecting it. Are they collecting but, it because it's, because it's got monetary value or because it's sudden, because it's now perceived as cool for everyone? Uh, I think just, uh, you know, people are, you know, starting to appreciate it, you know, right. and they see the, the charm in it. And, uh, you know, just people culturally looked on on tattooing for so long and, um, you know, now it's just come back around that people are recognizing that, you know, it is, uh, you know, this valid um, art in itself. And I mean, I just think it's like wild that like when you're watching TV, I mean, all these like, I mean, almost every corporation, you know, is incorporating tattooing into their advertising now. And it's just, it's just completely, you know, it's mainstream and it didn't used to be. So it's just changed, um, you know, a lot of aspects of uh, collecting tattoo flesh. Yeah, that's that's interesting because there was a documentary I was watching about the, the the ban, and I can't remember where this quote came from, and I am paraphrasing, so I apologise. But it was basically something along the lines of an elected elected official said that the ban was in place because getting tattooed uh, promoted other low behaviours, and I think that stuff like that sticks. I got my first tattoo in two thousand and eight, and I've seen the attitudes towards it change in that small time because i know you said earlier that it wasn't actually banned as as, as we assumed it was is that are the attitudes different in new york compared to the rest of america because it's a bit delayed uh different like what do you mean like um like, like the attitudes of, of the general public in 97 when it was legalized again what did it have to build back up again or was it already there because it was underground i think um well like when it was legalized uh it was kind of at the point where you just had so many people who were working pretty openly. Um, there were even some shops that had signs outside. Um, at that point, right. it just seemed kind of silly that it was illegal and people were kind of like, what, you know, it's illegal in New York, you know, of all places, but I don't know, somehow New York's like slow to uh, make it changes with that kind of stuff. Um, there's all these like, you know, right now with like marijuana, there's all these like States that are, you know, way more conservative that have legalized it. And I don't know, New York's slow to change, I guess, or something. But um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just so out in the open at that point that they, you know, 
and I think it was actually somebody outside of tattooing that kind of like um, rallied everybody to overturn the ban. Um, it was someone who had like, I think just started tattooing and, uh, and, but yeah, a lot of the older tattooers were like, no, everything's fine. Leave alone. <laughs> just um, really quickly coming back to like the, the machines in the museum. So we were chatting to uh, Rotary Works, who are some uh, tattoo machine, well, Rotary machine makers in the UK. And I was telling them this. So people listening are going to hear it twice. But my boyfriend's dad was a tattooist in the 70s and he would make his own machines using like doorbell mechanisms. So they would have the, the coil inside. And um, so he yeah made all these machines. And, and then when everything got a bit scary with um, AIDS, he quit tattooing and then they went into the loft. So that's how my boyfriend started tattooing as he just went and took them down. But we have this collection of these handmade machines that have done such cool work in, in the 70s. And ever since coming to you, I've wanted to gift one to you. So I'm going to, whether you, you know, you're, you've got so many machines in the shop, but a British handmade machine, I would love to send it to you. And I think that it would just be interesting to, you know, just see another machine. <laughs> really cool. I love it. <laughs> We also have some crazy flash. So he used to buy his flash from, I think it was Ultra Tattoo Supplies. And back oh, okay. then there would be like a rep. And I think Ronnie Starr was a rep and he would go around the, the shops or you'd phone up and order your bits and pieces. And some of this flash is so nuts. Like there's um, a nun in a compromising situation with a robot or there's an <laughs> egg with a big willy coming out of it. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> it's just so dated and it would come in um just like photocopied and you would color it in yourself and yeah so we've got all this wild wild stuff not the not the beautiful Bert Grimm stuff that was this over there but <laughs> I mean it's, it's all good you know and it's sort of funny how uh you know things do come back around I mean uh, you know when I first started tattooing it's like you know, I just remember those old like uh, Spalding catalogs and I was just like, oh, my God, this stuff's so crazy. And now like people are even collecting that and, you know, J.D. Crow stuff and stuff. And uh, so I don't know, it, it always comes back around. And, you know, now the 70s are, are cool, you know, people like that. And it's 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 cool to see. And it's cool to see the way, you know, things kind of cycle, you know, like, um, you know, what people appreciate over time. But I mean, when I first started tattooing, you know, you couldn't give away traditional tattoos. I mean, nobody wanted anything to do with that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until, you know, later on that people started to even have an appreciation for that. What were you doing? Like, what sort of style were you doing when you first started? Oh, I don't know. I mean, when I first started, I was like trying to do kind of like artsy stuff. And, you know, it's definitely stuff that was way beyond what I was really qualified for. Um, but I, you know, I think it was like after I'd been tattooing for like two years in the city, uh, I got a job at a legal street shop in Jersey and I would take the bus out there. And um, it, that shop, like all they had was a uh, JD Crow flash on the walls. And, uh, but I, I always say that I think really that was what taught me how to tattoo more than anything else, because, um, you know, I would take the bus out there and the shop opened at noon and I'd work until the last bus at like 10 p.m. and you know just tattoo that whole time straight I mean you know without breaks sometimes and you know two weeks in that shop was better than two years on my own in the city um, you know I always kind of regret that I 
you know, didn't have like a proper apprenticeship, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I was never taught that, I, you know, just had to kind of figure out. And I feel like I still have bad habits, you know, just from never really being taught the correct way, you know, but uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah, a lot of crow flash back then. <laughs> How did you learn if you, if you didn't have like a, a proper apprenticeship or um, uh, well, how did you learn? <laughs> I just, you know, fumbled along. I mean, I, I had like uh, this, my old roommate, like um, she uh, decided to buy a tattoo kit, kit and that was kind of what gave me the, the idea. And then uh, I had another friend uh, who was tattooing, kind of helped me get started and help teach me how to like make needles and stuff like that. Um, but no, I, I think the first two years or so I was tattooing was just, you know, basically doing garbage tattoos. <laughs> Or were there many other female tattooists in um, not no not not that many I mean certainly not like now um yeah very very few um I mean there was uh there were some really I mean there were some really good tattooers like across the country you know there was uh, I remember like Julie Julie Moon and um Candy Everett was a really good tattooer it was like Jill Jordan back then um uh yeah, there were, there were, you know, there were a few out there, but, you know, definitely few and far between, that's for sure. Oh, it's so, it's so interesting to hear all the history and um, there must just be so much information about the changes and it's mad. It's just so interesting. So I really appreciate that you have so much information about it. <laughs> I've got a quick question about the, the, the artifacts that you get, like the, the, the machines and things. Do you, do you do, do people approach you for that with those let's like, say so, um, you know my granddad used to tattoo here's a bunch of his stuff or do you do you go like out I've and, done. yeah <laughs> or do you do you go out and like go to antique shops and say I I if you find anything let me know uh well Brad uh, my business partner Brad uh most probably you know 98 percent of the collection is Brad's and uh right. he just like um you know, he's been collecting for so long. Um, I remember when like eBay first came out, like he, he used to like, uh, okay. uh, he used to schedule his appointments around when au auctions would <laughs> close. And I mean, he would get like hate mail from people because he just would outbid everybody. I mean, he just couldn't even bid against Brad, you know, he was uh, <laughs> just relentless in, you know, collecting the stuff. And in fact, like most of the flash that I have is uh, from this one time when Brad went to Japan and it was kind of like before you could bring like a cell phone with you and be connected to the internet. And so he was like out of town for a couple of weeks and I scooped up all this stuff on eBay because he wasn't around to, uh, you know, to bid against. And, you know, and it's funny because now he'll like see like these sheets and be like, oh, when'd you get that? And I'm like, hey, remember that time when you went to Japan, like 20, five years ago, you know, whatever it was. Um, but now also, you know, because he is so well known, um, you know, just for the collector that he is, um, definitely if something comes up, like a lot of times people will reach out. Um, it's, it's very rare. I mean, almost never that you, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, uh, exceptional if you ever run into something in like an antique store right. um, that they have like uh, tattoo flesh and 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 half the times if you do it's stuff that's like not that old or whatever but um yeah. so a lot a lot of it is from being within the community but then um you know we do get people who have you know donated 
things to us, which is um, amazing. And we actually started a nonprofit um, for the museum. Uh, it's a registered 501c3. So um, what's cool about that is that if somebody does donate something to us, it's not going to me and Brad, it's going into that public collection that belongs to the public. And, you know, it's not like doesn't nothing goes into like our pockets, you know, and, uh, and that collection will exist even past me and Brad because, you know, it's uh, public. How can people find out about how they can go, um, how they can donate to the museum if they've got anything? Uh, we, I mean, we have, um, I think there's a donation tab on our website um, on the museum page, but then, you know, if somebody, you know, people have just like, you know, can get in contact with us, um, you know, if they do want to donate something. Uh, we actually had a, a veterinary office um, contacted us a few months ago and they found an old uh S&W um, animal marker that they donated to us. Um, so that was cool because S&W was Stanley and Walter Moskowitz's company. And um, so sometimes we'll have, you know, just random people and sometimes it'll, you know, might be a customer that comes across something. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's definitely Shane Enholm, like uh, donated a really nice Andy Sturge sheet, which is really special because it's actually signed on the Bowery. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, all the support that we have gotten from people, you know, and how much people support us, um, you know, doing this. And that was, you know, in the beginning, like when we did the Kickstarter, you know, we were definitely overwhelmed and it was great, you know, how many people came out and, you know, were behind us doing this. I remember when um, you were telling us about, when I was there and you were telling us about some of the flash, you said that some of them had either been, had been giving a false signature or they'd been cut so that the original signature had been removed. How do you, are you just so experienced now that you can tell what's authentic or, um, or do you just have to, are there ways to check its authenticity? It's, it's definitely hard and you definitely have to know what you're doing, I'd say at this point to collect stuff. Um, you know, sometimes you have to ask around and, you know, figure out like, you know, who the people are. I mean, we, we had a guy who contacted us that, um, you know, he called on the phone and was like, oh, I buy houses. And I found this, um, you know, there was in the attic, there was this trunk and he starts like dropping names, you know, and I think he's like, yeah, there's a business card. It says uh, Bob, you know, Bob Wicks. And, uh, you know, so I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know, but then, you know, was when they sent the pictures, it, it was fake. And, uh, you know, we ended up knowing somebody else that they tried to sell it to. And uh, yeah, it was totally fake. And like, I didn't give the guy a price. And so like a price was never even mentioned. And I was like, okay, let me, let me get back to you. And I, I sent it to Brad and he was like, yeah, no, that's, that's not legit. And uh, so then when, you know, the guy called me back and I'm like, yeah, we're not, we're not interested. And he just goes, oh, okay. And like, he didn't say like, hmm. oh, well, give me a price or, uh, you know, he knew. And, and and then there was a lady who called one time and she said she bought like a trunk and, you know, again, the same thing. I was all excited. And then as soon as I saw the pictures, it was like, yeah, that's not real. You know, and so I, you, you definitely um, if you're buying antique stuff, it's buyer beware because there there are people putting, you know, fake stuff out there. You know, this stuff is uh, worth money. And so, um, you know, you, you want to kind of know who you're getting it from and where it's coming and, you know, try to. Uh, you know, validate it. I suppose it's the same with any sort of 
antiquities and like my mum was an antique dealer and I trade buy and sell vintage and antiques just as a sort of hobby really and you do just get used to it don't you and you see ads and people saying it's this and you know it's from Ikea <laughs> or, or so so and you do just like I guess you just pick up a an idea and then um, but I suppose when it comes to artwork the it's in history artwork's always been forged and reproduced yeah. and and so on but yeah when you just know what you're looking for there was a whole documentary that guy who was forging artwork and then donating it to museums and he got the stuff into all these like you know museums like all over the country and uh and it ended up like he he didn't even he was a little bit off and uh he didn't even get in trouble in the end because uh they said if he wasn't making money off of it it technically wasn't illegal for him to don't <laughs> stuff like it was kind of up to the museum to verify if it was real or not and uh yeah it was but yeah this guy would just and now I think you can go online and, and commission like fake paintings from him <laughs> You imagine like, oh, can I have some um, Ed Hardy flash, please? <laughs> yeah, it was you know, it's like FBI agent who was trying to track this guy down. He finally did track him down. And then he went to like the guy's art show and he finally was like confronting the guy. And the guy was just like, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. You know, like that was it. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was, it was pretty cool. So yeah, you got to be careful. You know, there's uh, people doing all sorts of stuff out there. Is there anything that you can tell us about the history of female tattooists in New York, if there's anything you know? I mean, uh, you know, probably, um, you know, the most famous of like the old time New York tattooers was Millie Hall. Um, she worked on the Bowery uh, like in the 19, uh, like late 20s. To, uh, she died like I think the mid 40s. And uh, yeah, she was, she was a pretty cool lady. She used to advertise as New York's only lady tattooer. And um, she learned from Charlie Wagner. Oops, sorry. Hello. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we don't mind pets. Uh, uh, if, if, anyone, if anyone complains that there's a dog barking on it, they're, they're not allowed to listen. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're, um, we have, you know, I'm in New York. And so it's like, you know, we got the old, the old pipes and stuff. And I don't know, the pipes are banging and my dog just freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, Millie Hall. Um, I mean, you know, she was just, I mean, she had to be such a tough lady, you know, to work on the Bowery. Um, there's a lot of like cool articles with her. Um, unfortunately, uh, yeah, she ended up, um, you know, killing herself, which, uh, you know, wow. but uh, uh yeah, she started out, she was a tattooed lady and um, there's different stories. Like one story, she said that she started out as doing embroidery and she became a tattooer. Another one was that she kind of wanted to tattoo herself. Um, another one said that she was a dancer before she was a tattooer. Um, but it was, uh, you know, you figure it was probably pretty tough for a woman just to make a living in general. And um, you know, tattooing, you know, you had a lot of the tattooed ladies also in New York City. They weren't actual tattoo artists, but they could um, go on display and work as a tattooed lady. And, you know, I saw articles where they said, you know, as a waitress, maybe they'd be making $6 a week, but then as a tattooed woman, they could make like $50 a week. And uh, 
so that was that wow. was also another like avenue for you know women back when you know and to is, make that, a is that making money at shows being shown off as the tattooed lady with the yeah the bowery had a lot of uh dime museums yeah. and the dime museums were like uh kind of like the freak shows and um you had all these different um places that had these like exhibitions and by calling it a museum it gave it kind of this like veneer of respectability um but a lot of them were you know filled with some like crazy crazy stuff and um <laughs> she's is that gilbert in the background <laughs> no, it, i'm, I'm in now, so like <laughs> but she's pacing about um oh here, she's here like this. hello Come on, pay attention to me. <laughs> Somebody, they're banging around upstairs and she doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> but like, in they, one they them, what? In one episode, we had, uh, we were chatting to our friend Joe and her dog was snoring in the background for about oh. 75% of the, the recording. So you just hear this undertone, like snore. <laughs> it's actually quite peaceful, though. It almost makes you nod off. It's just this constant. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> mm, I like it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off with more pet talk. <laughs> <laughs> they were the only thing that kept me sane through the uh, <laughs> lockdown. Oh, yeah. Walk dogs, that was the only normal thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the the dime museums, they, uh, it's like they, I, they were called that because there was a, a price war between like these different museums. And then uh, Bunnell, who had a museum on the Bowery, uh, he was the first one that dropped the price down to a dime. And, and uh, that was how they, I guess, you know, competition, they all started, um, that was the price of admission. And so you'd have somebody up front who would be talking about what was inside and they would exhibit all these different things. And that was how P.T. Barnum got his um, start was that he had this woman who uh, he said was George Washington's wet nurse. Her name was Joyce Heth. And he said that she was like 167 years old or something. And he, that was how he got his start. You know, he bought the rights to like exhibit her. And um, yeah, and that was, uh, yeah. And then, then he was off and he exhibited the first tattooed, um, tattooed men. Um, there was James F. O'Connell, the um, tattooed Irishman. And then there was uh, Costentinus and um, yeah. And then after Costentinus, there were a bunch of other tattooed men. And Hildebrand actually tattooed the very first um, tattooed man, um, this guy, Harry DeCourcy. And he also tattooed uh, Nora Hildebrand and Irene Woodward, who both claimed to be the first tattooed ladies. And uh, they all worked on the Bowery. There's one image that I remember seeing, and I, I'm pretty sure it was a Daredevil, and it's like a Gibson girl, but heavily tattooed. So anybody who doesn't know, Gibson girl is like Edwardian lady with a specific updo, and it was just like the epitome of beauty in America in the early 20th century, I think. But um, sort of from the neck down, shoulders down, she's covered in tattoos. And I'm not sure. Is that one that is that Millie Hall? Is that who I'm thinking of, or is that something else yeah, I've seen? It might have been. We have a few pictures of Millie in the front. Um, yeah, the first, you know, that that Gibson girl image. That was um, Evelyn Nesbitt. Did you ever hear uh, her story? Yeah, she no, was. Uh, I haven't. She was like that. She was the Gibson girl, and she was like a teenager. And she started. I think she had an affair with. Um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, McKean Mead and White, the architect. And yeah. she, uh, 
Yeah, and he ended up getting shot on the roof of Madison Square Garden, like in the front row of a like a theater production. And she ended up like becoming like um, doing a whole show about it. And I guess he had a, a velvet covered swing inside his apartment. And so she, <laughs> she would uh, perform on this swing. And uh, but yeah, then the Gibson girl, um, those images were uh, adapted for tattooing. And a lot of tattooers did that, you know, they would take like images from pop culture and, you know, uh, adapt them and, you know, as tattoo images, like the Rock of Ages, you know, came from sheet music at the time. And um, yeah, you know, tattooers have always been pirates. <laughs> There's a page I follow, I think it's called Tattoo Origins, and it shows the the tattoo design versus the original image. And some of them are so obscure they've just it's like an advert or yeah you know going back so far it's so interesting to see yeah it's it's really cool to see like where a lot of these things like originated from I think I have uh an advertisement that has like the traditional Black Panther and it was I think it was like her tires or something or some sort of automotive like parts um company or something yeah so so interesting so yeah. What's next for Daredevil and the museum? Have you got any other plans? Uh, I mean, I, I've been working on uh, chipping away at a um, kind of a book of New York City tattoo history. And so, wow. uh, yeah, we'd like to do something like with the collection, kind of a catalog sort of thing. And uh, so I don't know, I've been I've been chipping away at that. It's just it's just hard because I'm, you know, I'm not a writer. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like I've got like a few good chapters put together. But uh, the farther I get along, you know, it's just like hard to like kind of, um, you know, corral everything into like a cohesive sort of narrative. And uh, so, yeah, I've just been, you know, doing a bunch of research for that and, um, you know, keep, keep working on it. But uh, I know that's my main project lately. I would be number one in the line to buy that. <laughs> that would be so interesting and especially for people who can't get out there to see it in real life and yeah that'd be amazing that sounds well, very exciting hopefully things will loosen up at some point and we'll be able to get visitors again looking forward to that I know I I'm just keeping my fingers crossed I would love to come back and do another guest spot and just be there it was such a great time it was I'd love to be there again one day yeah listening to uh, your other podcast and uh, it was funny to hear yeah, the stories <laughs> I was gonna ask if you had listened to or tormenting Gilbert <laughs> oh, those poor boys well I messaged Noah and I was like do you know that we've immortalized you on our podcast and he said no I'm gonna listen and he messaged and he said oh I've just been smiling the whole way through so it's okay and I said oh I take it you've not got to the end yet when they took when we talk about R. Kelly he <laughs> said no it's all good we I laughed <laughs> oh, and, was, and if you don't get that like, reference need to listen to episode two with Daniel yeah. Rose and Jay Seuss and you'll you'll find out what R. Kelly and urine and uh yeah all of that all of that horrible business yeah we can yeah. say like because I wasn't in the story I was telling right at the end I wasn't really very clear because I was talking to Danielle who was obviously there and we we printed off this picture of Noah and put it in the toilet, like in the actual toilet bowl. And we laughed about it so much. And then I think it was, it was the other 
receptionist that I hadn't met was going in the next day because Gilbert wasn't in and I was like texting them both the whole time going has anyone said anything has anyone said anything because we just like sharp shot with Noah's face in the toilet (laughs) you're such a terrible person oh it was just so funny it was so funny and um I really want because we were when we were there like prank calling Gilbert all the time and stuff and I really wanted to do it again for the podcast I said to Mick I was like oh I wonder if we should like we should maybe prank call Gilbert while we've got Michelle though and then Mick was like maybe you should ask <laughs> stop right now I just talked to him <laughs> oh really yeah that's did. interesting that's interesting okay well, I'll try and nab him maybe not on right now I have to think about how to be funny <laughs> maybe we could get I don't know maybe get Mick to do it I think I'm I think that's it for my my questions have you got anything you want to add Mick no 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 I think that was that was so interesting thank you so much for your time that was amazing oh no my pleasure thank you so much it was so interesting and I'm gonna listen back and and make my own book (laughs) I've written written down some of the names that you were saying there Millie Hall James F O'Connell Harry DeCourcy uh Evelyn Nesbitt Wow, I'm gonna go and look through those and see what I can find. Moskowitz is a good one. <laughs> Samuel Riley. It's crazy. I mean, it's not tattooing, but uh yeah, the Evelyn Nesbitt thing is it's wild. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great, great and lovely nice to see thing. you. I hope, hope you get open soon. Yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I might have to go underground. Uh. <laughs> awful i just i can't even believe it but man good luck (laughs) yeah it's definitely it's stressful so it's been really nice to have the podcast as a as a focus when have you got anything else to focus on so oh i know so on i was so like not productive during lockdown you know it's like i don't know you're working and you want time to like do stuff and then you had nothing but time and you know it was so stressful you couldn't do anything (laughs) yeah yeah that's it and your head is all over the place like not having a routine and stuff it it really messes with you yeah messes with your body you're not moving around like you normally do and yeah the whole thing's terrible it's a disaster fingers crossed for normal life at some point hopefully the warmer weather will bring you know bring uh you know kind of bring us in the home stretch or something (laughs) i hope so you know so uh, hopefully hopes around the corner (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> awesome well hope to see you soon and thank you so much for yeah, returning to us guys and uh yeah hopefully see you soon i hope i hope so <laughs> <laughs> all right bye you guys cheers bye-bye how much for a string Daredevil. Oh, oh, hey, I'm looking to book a tattoo. Um, I just wondered if you can advise me on who would be the best person to do it and, and when I could come in. Okay. Um, so what it is, I'm looking to have a heart, like an anatomical heart with a Band-Aid across it. 
Okay. Possibly maybe on my chest or, you know, like my sternum area, but I'm not too sure. So who, who do you think would be the best person to do that? Uh, anyone can do that. Okay. Who have you got? Uh, I mean, there's a few different artists. It would just depend on whose style you wanted to go with. Okay. And I don't know if you want to recommend that could really just be, you know, your personal choice. Sure. Okay. I mean, you sound nice. Do you tattoo? Nope. Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Um, okay. Well, you know, just throw some names at me and I'll think about it. Yeah, you can just check on the website. Oh, okay. All right. See, the thing is, I'm, I'm pretty keen to get it done quite quick because I'm just going through a bit of an emotional time. So what would be the, the quickest that you could do it, as in you? No, I wouldn't. No? What, why? You just sound so nice. Oh, oh, hold on. Just a sec. Hold on. Steve, I'm on the fucking phone. Yeah. Who cares if it's a man? You can't say shit. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's a difficult time. Hello? Uh-huh. You've got some issues. <laughs> I just want someone to help me resolve it. And the first step is getting this tattoo. I mean, you sound like you got a real nice grip. So I'd really like it if you could do it. All right. You can come in. Okay. What time? What time do you finish? You can come in anytime. And what time do you actually get off? That depends. Do you like to get off? Depends how long you would take. I don't take too long. <laughs> well, that's good to know. So what are you wearing? <laughs> Describe it to me, honey. For the last seven or eight months, just just writing a whole script about motherfucker. <laughs>